0: Fun? Do you think you're going to have today?
1: Um, lots of fun.
0: Um, lots of fun. No, that's that's a, that's a good kind. Um, helping, just helping good. everybody. Charlene, what do you, what do you think? Uh, I didn't hear the question. I'm sorry. What kind of fun do you think you can find here today? All I, kinds. All yeah, kinds of fun. Dancing. Bouncing fun. Yeah, I think so because this is a place where kids and families can come and kind of bounce around, but you need Something and I'm gonna have everyone do it like a magic chant Uh, All right, you guys ready? Because when we're talking inflatables, you need something that's been inflated. Are you guys ready? All right, here we go Uh, Repeat after me abracadabra one two three one, two, three. Now it's time to see what we see. Now it's time to see what we see. Whoa, hello everybody. Oh my goodness. How's everybody doing? My name is Mr. Wacky. Welcome to the inflatable run. Give Mr. Wacky a nice round of applause, everybody. <laughs> Mr. Wacky, this is uh This is an honor, first of all. Well, thank you. Uh, We are local San Diegans, so we're proud to be here, everybody, on this wonderful, beautiful Saturday morning. Welcome, San Diego! Yeah, good morning, you guys. This is so much fun here. First of all, it's like a 5K, but not really. It's, it's longer than a 5K, right? Well, yes, each participant has the option to do
2: a one-mile lap as many times as they want. We're out here trying to get families off the couch. We're a family-owned business throwing events for families in San Diego. So we're really excited to be
0: here. We have all kinds of attractions behind us and a course that families can run as many times as they want with inflatables on them. Yeah, this is great, you guys. Now, does that mean that everybody here becomes an inflatable today? do they want to be inflatables today do you guys want to be inflatable yes. 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 yeah absolutely mr. Wacky? let me see everybody do their mr wacky then
1: all right Woo. this was a planned news segment and that th- he obviously put zero work into
2: did he yeah did he prepare like could they no. have stood somewhere where the light wasn't shining in his eyes so his so he didn't have to close his eyes when he looks at the camera i mean it's just the worst it's so bad. Well,
1: but it's not even, like, situational problems that make it bad like that. Like, could they have planned to have him stand in a different spot? His question was, what kind of fun are you going to have today?
2: <laughs> oh, that's not a, it's that's not a human question. No, it's it's awful. That's a robot question. And then the guy dressed as, like, a one of those oh. crazy...
1: Jesus Mr. Wacky
2: Sock puppet things That they Have in front of Car dealerships (laughs) Mr. Wacky
1: Oh god Yeah Why is local news That inept?
2: I don't know It's It's Aesthetically Awful Everything about it The fakey Jokey People who Do it And the stories They choose And It's just Oh, man. I mean, I, I just watch it. And every now and then we watch it for the weather, and I'm just like, why? Why do these people do this?
1: Do you think it's they... because there's no value to local news beyond what you could get in a non-visual medium like a newspaper, which I can guess. be immensely valuable? But I, I do wonder about the point of local news being a televised thing if the visual medium is being used to show me a thing and you're showing me the place where I am, then that doesn't make as much sense to me. Um, it's like, I need, maybe I need the national news to be televised so that you can show me video. Oh, of
2: sure. What's happening yeah.
1: In a in another place.
2: I mean, um, that makes a that makes a certain kind of sense. Yeah. Like, like there's no reason for you to describe, you know, some piece of the city that I live in. Right. Like I can't go there and look at it. Yeah. But
1: so so it's really just kind of catering to a type of laziness.
2: Yeah, maybe I don't know, man. It's awful.
1: But the that sense of laziness too is, I think, the defining characteristic of corporate media. And laziness is also, you know, their bread and butter. Now it's uh, it's also their defining characteristic. Case in point being that video of Malcolm Jenkins that I sent you earlier, uh, where, you know, these reporters are, they're not asking him anything real. Um, what he is trying to do is incredibly real and authentic. And he's just holding up poster board detailing facts about uh, police violence, uh, police shootings, uh, mass incarceration, um how these statistics apply disproportionately to communities of color. I mean, he's just like laying it out there, and he has to keep raising the one poster board that says "you're not listening,"
2: <laughs> which you prepared ahead of time. Yeah, because I mean, the, they don't engage. They don't engage. These people don't engage with anything that the, that he says. Like the only qu- and there's multiple reporters there. The only questions that they that they ask him are like pre canned questions that they decided to come with. And like, they wrote the narrative ahead of time. They walk into the locker room and he pulls this brilliant, like silent treatment on them. I mean, it (laughs) it reminded me of like Christ before Pilate. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, he's just not going to answer their stupid questions.
1: Well, and then once they realize that they're not going to get the narrative they want, they just start asking him, like they're trying to narrate what he's doing because they can't handle the silence.
2: Yeah, and deconstructs.
1: Like, oh, 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 so you're going to talk to us through poster board? Like he's going to go, "Yeah."
2: Yeah, like the <laughs> it, it, it like deconstructs the entire edifice of entertainment journalism, which is what most journalism is, you know. I mean, right. it's just I mean, it's really amazing the the sort of the sort of uh dramatization of the thing is amazing. It's just like But it's shocking. It is. It's shocking. You watch it and you're like, who are these people? Like, just stand there and read his signs. You don't have to fucking talk. Like, be quiet for 10 seconds. (laughs) It's it's amazing.
1: Well, yeah, and this would be different if, uh, you know, we were still operating on a radio-only kind of broadcast level. But you can just point your video at it. You can show it. And then... There's your news content. You can share it. <laughs> you have the right, thing. You,
2: you might have commentary about it after the fact, right? Or like yeah. an explanation of what you're going to see next. Or even somebody reading the the posters, right?
1: Sure, like, yeah, if you want to take it like it, if you want to take it completely out of the visual and give it some kind of context, yeah, you could just have somebody, you could have your anchor read it if you are that desperate to Deal with it. Or if you're writing it up for a newspaper or a magazine, you type out what's on the poster board.
2: Right. Personally I mean personally I think that these kind of locker room interviews, even when it's just in the in the context of, you know, like a after a game or after practice or whatever, the locker room interviews are always so rote and Idiotic. The players don't want to do it. You know, the, the, the most of the time they seem a little bit annoyed. These guys are crowded around these players with microphones in their pl- in their face, and they ask the same ten questions of every player so that they can get you know enough quotes to string together to write uh, to write an article. Um, and and that's why that's why this video is so refreshing because it just it just takes limb from limb than sort of wrote um idiocy of, of these locker room interviews and, and you know and the after game press conferences are just as bad so these oh, journalists yeah, these journalists the only thing that, that that they're used to doing is sort of being a part of this you know mechanism that that is a serves as a mouthpiece for the NFL and Malcolm Jennings like or Jenkins took it completely apart it's I'm still just stunned by it. <laughs> stunned by it because it's usually so much BS, and and in this case, it's really uh, it really illuminates something that needs to be um,
1: well. And the and the it idi- is the idiocy of the reporting is so deep and is so unmasked in this situation that you realize they can't even sensationalize a story, right? Because yeah. they're trying to make it so dramatic about what he's doing in that moment when if they actually engaged with any one of those facts on his multiple poster boards there's your sensational story
2: right exactly yeah you know, for sure
1: those are all strands of sensational stories stories that well know, um, we've been we've been engaging with to a degree but are so Huge in scope and uh, tragic and, I mean, there's your narrative if you want to report it correctly, which no one really does.
2: Right. And, I mean, cable news sensationalism requires a soundbite that they can play, you know, like something that's less than 10 seconds. And he doesn't give them a soundbite.
1: In doing so, he's, he's also like challenging the kind of anti-literacy aspect of what we want from... Memes and sound bites. You know, we want.
2: Yeah, right.
1: We want to be I able mean, to I, look at a thing and get it immediately instead of having some reading comprehension.
2: Yeah, I'd like stop and read ten words in a row. I mean, I yeah. I do think I think that he what he does is he rests all the power, all the power away from the journalists in the in this situation. Um, I mean, he he takes. He sort of takes agency in a way that is usually wrested away from these players because whatever they say is boiled down into the, you know, the shortest quote and the shortest soundbite sound and then rebroadcast by ESPN and the local news and, you know, uh, NBC Sports and whatever, Fox and all the rest. Um, yeah. But he gives them nothing to work with. Nothing. <laughs> the only thing they can do is put it on their website. <laughs> and, uh yeah. It's yeah, it's incredible.
1: Which is exactly the kind of interview that's antithetical to what all of the leagues want because you know, who yeah, wants they just, that, who they wants just that wa- kind of hassle from your labor and your product?
2: They just as, want the minstrel show. I mean, frankly, like that's what that's what the NFL wants. They want these guys to go out there and just I mean, I was gonna say I was gonna say to be just- jesters, but it's more racialized than that. Like, oh, it's they, definitely want these, more racialized they want these guys to go out and dance and, you know and and make a make a fun time, and then go back and be quiet. Uh, and that's I don't know. I just think that's increasingly untenable. It would be if I was a, if I was one of these athletes. I I couldn't stand it. Abracadabra one two three. Speaking of dreams, what's your favorite breakfast? <laughs>
1: what am I dreaming of right now? Mm-hmm. It's always breakfast food. Uh. <sighs> my favorite breakfast it's pancakes it's got to be pancakes okay i mean uh
2: do you want to talk about your insane ritual that you go through <laughs> when you make pancakes <laughs> go ahead
1: um, i actually do it a little less now but yeah i'll talk about it um, oh i'm disappointed well it's because i make my pancakes differently but oh okay growing up my dad would cut my paint he he'd, he'd put together a stack of pancakes and he would cut them, uh, you know, like kind of cross hatch. And so they'd be into squares, which, um, made it a a superior.
2: It increases the surface area of, of pancake to syrup. Like,
1: well it definitely does that and it provides crevices where there were none.
2: Yeah. It's Uh, almost, it almost makes it, it gives it sort of a waffle esque, yes uh i don't know topography geography
1: (laughs) so syrup seeps and not only are you getting syrup on the top of your pancake you're also getting it on the sides and then it seeps in
2: right right and if you're a little kid it makes it a lot easier to eat
1: right uh you know or a 33 year old man um it's it's also easy to eat then i've been doing it ever since uh I was a child, and only recently have I kind of changed that up a little bit because I started making these extremely thin buttermilk pancakes. That oh, I see. They just um, they kind of fall apart if you try to square them up like that, which oh, is great. Yeah, but sure. uh, but I don't know. I have the love in my heart for the um, the rigidity of the routine.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's great. The first time I saw. The first time I saw you do it, I was like, what is, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? This is how I, this is how I eat pancakes. Okay. Well, that's great.
1: What's funny is that that's everyone's reaction. Like nobody has ever seen that and not thought, well, that's psychotic behavior. (laughs) Yeah. Right. There's no one that's ever been like, I get what you're doing. There's Mm -hmm. no empathy.
2: I get it now. I mean, I understand, I understand it. Like, you know, when I'm eating a pancake, sometimes I think it would be nice if this was sort of stacked and cut up because it'd be nice to have a little more syrup, you know, surface Mm -hmm. area. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, you're, you're right. The first impression is definitely a little odd.
1: Which I say that's my favorite breakfast food. I mean, it is my favorite but it's also not the breakfast food that could be regular.
2: Um, no, no, you can't eat pancakes. I mean, I get sick of pancakes. Like after I am, it's. I think that's a Mitch Hedberg joke where, like, they're all exciting at first, and by the end, you are fucking sick of them. <laughs> that's true. You are like, God, this is terrible. Like, I feel awful. Like, sits in your stomach, and
1: so what's the yeah. what's the best breakfast food that is uh, can be done regularly. Or what's, uh, well, first, let me ask, what's your favorite?
2: Well, it's a hard—I don't know—it's a hard question because I love um, uh, biscuits and gravy. God, yes! Lot. Like really hot gravy and fresh biscuits um, is very, very good. Uh, definitely a comfort food. Let
1: me ask a question that um, I realize kind of how biased this is going in, but can you even get? good biscuits and gravy outside of the south
2: yeah sure of course you can
1: i don't know about that
2: it depends where you go i'm sure but i don't know you had some of your favorite barbecue ever in the rocky mountains so
1: yeah but weren't those guys from the south
2: well sure but there's (laughs) there's people from the south here who can make biscuits and gravy i'm sure of it you know I don't know. Biscuits are probably pretty hard and at altitude, though. That would be tough, I think. Um, uh, just because of the way that it changes, you know. Biscuits at altitude get a little bit too dense. That's probably fair. But... I don't Is, there know, I had go-
1: some... Is there a go-to spot uh, for you with breakfast food? Like, with really, like, basic, but well-done breakfast food?
2: Um... There's a place downtown, well, not downtown, it's on Cap Hill in Denver called Tom's.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's very much a greasy spoon type of place that's been there forever. Well, that's and, all you um, really
1: need or want.
2: Yeah, that place is good. Like, you can get, you know, it's one of those places where you can order, like, cereal. Um, <laughs> which is a ridiculous <laughs> thing to order at a restaurant. Uh, but it's, it's solid, yeah. And then the, not too far from Tom's, there's this kind of hipstery place called Jelly. And I've had okay meals there, but everybody raves about it. And it's like, the eggs are never like hot enough. The toast is cold. It's just, I don't know. It's bad. I'm like, why are not we at Tom's instead?
1: Um, Which is the exact phenomenon that we experienced when you visited me.
2: Yeah, exactly. The shittier the place, the better it's going to be. The food is going to be better and cheaper, uh, which makes it taste, that makes it taste better too to me. So I don't know.
1: Well, definitely, because even if it's like only mediocre, you think, ah, I just paid a couple bucks for it, so yeah. Why, why am so, I complaining?
2: So I have to say though that like, although I really love biscuits and gravy, I mean it's kind of similar to, um, it's similar to pancakes insofar as you can't eat biscuits and gravy often or you shouldn't, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I I really love an over easy egg. Um, Mm, yeah, and toasts with like, it's got to be raspberry j- jam. Um, really, that's oh, raspberry jam is the shit, man. And you can tell it's the best because it's the most expensive. <laughs> it's the most expensive jam. <laughs> and so, anyway, raspberry jam is great. You know, you mop up the the overeasy egg with your with your uh, toast. Uh, it's hard to beat that. If you had bacon, it's great too. You know, I mean, but. An over-easy egg is really good, and if there's a tomato involved, uh, you know.
1: Oh, going going British with it.
2: Ah, oh, tomatoes and eggs. Oh, it's just like one of the best. It's one of the best things ever. It's just incredibly good. So, yeah, I love tomatoes with with breakfast for sure.
1: Eggs are. Eggs are like a miracle.
2: Yeah, you. they're so cheap. I mean, I mean two eggs. It's like dinner, you know, and they're so good. And there's like, they're like, they cost nothing. Even like fancy eggs are cheap.
1: And there's a million ways to cook them.
2: Yeah. It's awesome.
1: They're all good.
2: Yeah. Abracadabra
0: one, two, three.
1: So you, um, you posted a thing to Twitter today about working with the homeless and (laughs) like what a kind of cop out or bullshit phrase, um, jesus was also homeless is and like how that reflects on the work you do and the people you do it with uh and so so i wanted to ask you about that but it also made me think about you wrote this piece for the blog that um i didn't know you were going to write and it just appeared and it was hilarious and great and also i knew something very Like could it was only written in the way that someone who has gotten, has had an experience multiple times, ends up writing something. Yeah. It's sure. like, a yeah. Oh yeah. I get it. That's totally real. That's, that's grabbed from, from there every day. So yeah, I, I want to hear a little bit about what, what, what kind of led you to that, um, to writing that.
2: Yeah. So the, um, post is called, it's on the, you know, com and it's, it's at, um, It's called, We Would Like to Work with the Poor. So the reason I wrote it is because I got an email at work. I work at a day shelter for homeless folks. And um, I got this email from someone who wants, who is interested in volunteering at the shelter? And we have a lot of people volunteer at the shelter. Um, a lot of our folks who volunteer are longtime volunteers. Um, you know, they come in once a week or even a couple times a week and work a shift. Um, and they, um, the volunteers are great. You know, they talk to our guests and they, I think, get a lot out of um, helping you know, out of the shelter. Um, and, you know, frankly, they help us, uh, run the place. Um, and they help with our budget and, you know, they help us unload the big food truck that comes once a week and, you know, all this stuff. So I, I have a great value for volunteers, especially volunteers who, um, are committed and who, for, for whom it's, it's not, um, it's not just something that they, that they're doing occasionally or that they, that's sort of like an option for their day, but it's Mm -hmm. something that, that they really is a part of their life. Um, and actually I've said before, like when I've had more, um, responsibility for, um, for managing volunteers, I've I've said, I don't want volunteers. (laughs) I want disciples. Uh And I, I, don't want to, I don't want a disciple for myself. I want disciples for, jesus right like i want people for whom like this this is an expression of who they are and 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 for for whom um the volunteering um the volunteering has an effect an ongoing effect on their life where they're getting, you know, further and further into touch with who they are and why they're here and what they're doing, and encountering people who they otherwise wouldn't, and you know, um, and encountering divinity, you know, within them and within the people who they serve. Frankly, so, so which is I, not
1: which is not the model of like modern anything of modern volunteering of modern most life. modern
2: nonprofits and charities aren't going to run that way um i have a group of volunteers at network where i also work who are uh, frankly <laughs> incredible human beings like without whom i don't know if i would still be um Working at, at at network, I mean they're like the most beautiful like people I've <laughs> ever met, and um, I'm like, why do you hang out with me, <laughs> like once a week? Like I don't <laughs> I don't get it. Like, and it's because they're not there to help me. They're help. They're there to you know. They're there to encounter Christ. So, um. So anyway, we we got an email at the shelter, and or I got an email, um. That said, and I'm not the volunteer coordinator I'm, that's not my job, but they must have found my email on the website. They emailed me, and one of the lines in the email was, um, we 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 would like to work with the poor, which is the title of this post. Mm-hmm. and there's just there's just something about that 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 bothers me. It's, I think it sort of objectifies people who are experiencing poverty and homelessness. Like the poor, like we want to work with the poor, not with people who are marginalized. And I, I get some of this stuff is just like, you know, baloney PC language that doesn't really matter, but some of it is, well, no, it is, yeah,
1: it's, it's stripping, it's stripping every bit of individuality and humanity and incarnation out of right th- of those folks because it's we want to work with the poor as like, like a block group they right, can be
2: more an amorphous mass and and you right. know Ancient I, I, I under- right i guess like everybody has to start somewhere you know i mean i i i want to commend anyone who who wants to get involved in uh, ministry or nonprofit or, or you know some kind of service organization that it, that is encountering people that you otherwise aren't connected to during your day to day. I, I want to encourage that. I really do. But I, I think that I think that you know you have a responsibility to a fellow human being to meet them as a as a person to meet them. Sure. You know, as an as an end unto themselves, not as an experience that you get that you get to have. Um, and so, you know, so I wrote this. <laughs> my first thought was like, oh yeah, we have a we have some pores that you can come work with. <laughs> what do you want to What do you want to do with them? You know, what do you want to work with them on? And the fact is, they want to come in and serve some food for a couple hours, and then they want to go uh, get lunch somewhere else
1: right well which is a perfectly like neoliberal expression of what um, a lot of our sense of ministry has become that is so transactional
2: yeah Um, exactly yeah that
1: you know I want to come you know do a thing for you necessarily because it's going to do a thing for me
2: Right uh-huh. and and we, and we don't have to actually encounter anybody. we just have to put the food on the plate and put it on the mm-hmm. table, you know, yeah. and that's that's it. That's as close as we're gonna get to having an experience where we're meeting another person um and
1: then and then we get to put in the newsletter that we that we help the poor. <laughs>
2: Right. Exactly. Uh, and that can be kind of part of our fundraising, you know, campaign for the next year or recruitment or whatever. Um, plus we're going to take a bunch of pictures without asking anybody in the pictures, like whether they would even like to be in a picture that might show up on a website or social media. Um, you know, I, I just think it's, it just bothers me. It really bothers me because some of these, I count some of these people as friends and, um, and it you know this is not a charitable take by any means um but um but the other issue I have is that they're like they're like, we'd like to come you know um every second Saturday uh, <laughs> in the morning, and You know, the reason we do that is because we go, we like to go to mass at noon and this and that and all these, all these caveats, you know, and it's like, well, I, that's really nice that you have so much agency and privilege that you get to choose whenever you're, whenever you want to volunteer, by the way, we're not open on Saturday. So if you'd like to, you know, if you'd like to, uh, get to know at least the staff a little before you. (laughs) before you like start making demands about when you're going to volunteer, that would be great too. Um, and so, yeah, so I wrote this, you know, this post is sort of like a back and forth email exchange, um, from be, a, be a good person. 77 at JC is a friend me. net. And, um, you know I, I i it it contains a lot of of the kind of things that I hear sometimes and which which really kind of give me an aneurysm from time to time but um, well, yeah,
1: you know it opens up to a uh, an interesting kind of an interesting facet of this that we don't talk about a lot, which is that while we're used to speaking about nonprofits and charities and I don't know, just all kinds of different helping organizations in terms of they are underfunded and they, they need support. We don't talk about the aspect that is, it doesn't mean they all need your help. So like, yeah. I mean, it just makes total sense to me that someone like writes you and they're like, with an air of, of course you need my help. Let me tell you when I can do it. Right. Here's my schedule. And you know, with no sense of maybe this particular organization doesn't need anything that I could offer. Right. Maybe they come. don't need me in any particular sense. Not that the cause doesn't need me or not that the, you know, but maybe this particular place I'm writing doesn't yeah, come need with, what, what I can give.
2: Come with a little humility, you know, sure. you might, you might not have that much to offer. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, a,
1: a, a, which reframes the entire initial conversation from being, here's how we want to help. And here's when we can help To, I have no idea if there's anything that I, about who I am or what I do that could help you. But if there right. is, tell me.
2: Right. And you know, I, I hear people all the time. I hear my, the volunteer coordinator at work all the time saying like, you know what, um, that week we have plenty of volunteers. Um, but maybe there's a week in the future that you, that, you know, we can work together. Mm -hmm. And, and then I hear her say, well, yeah, we, you know, we can only take so many volunteers. And the reason that, the reason that she has to say that is because this is the other thing that's endemic to volunteerism. People want to go volunteer and they want to have a meaningful experience. And in order for them to have a meaningful experience, they need to be working on something they think is helpful For the entire time that they're there, if they have to stand around for 10 minutes, it's not a meaningful experience and you will lose that volunteer. Sure. Those people aren't going to come back unless they're, unless they're very special people like the people who work with me at network. Um, Because network is not a service organization. We're just there to talk to people. So... So we turn that. away volunteers all the time so that we sort of have a skeleton crew so that there's plenty of work for people to do. Be, but because people have this, have this fantasy that, they are, that, that, that their work is contributing something uh, outsized to what they're actually doing. So the busier they are, the more they feel like they're really contributing something. And I want to say that volunteers are contributing something. Volun- volunteers are vital to the organizations that I work in. But they're not the only thing, you know, and, and frankly, like that awkwardness of standing around and not having something to do, that is the, that is the time when the Holy Spirit is going to, is going to form you into a different kind of person.
1: Well, that's just what I was about to say was that what this reveals is this sense of like that busyness equals meaning. Yes. When really, when really standing around and just, you know, kind of shooting the shit with the. you know, the, hopefully with the guests, the but also
2: yeah, also with like, other also with other volunteers, yeah. Exactly,
1: like that is where you're going to pull the meaning that might stay with you for the rest of your life. It's not going to be in how many boxes you moved that day, or right,
2: like right, and, like and it, that, it that,
1: completely reveals that there's this um, this absence of um, understanding that relationality is what you're trying to get out of this
2: exactly and you know I think that um, what I call sort of theological awkwardness or pneumatological awkwardness is is really an experience of vulnerability right, That's exactly you're, right. you're standing amongst people who you don't have a lot in common with other than your shared humanity, or at least it seems like you maybe don't have that much in common with them because you haven't had a conversation with someone. Um, And you, you don't know what to do with your hands. You know, (laughs) you don't quite know how to start a conversation. I feel like this every week at network. You don't know quite how to start a conversation with someone you've never met before, who might be a little bit scary. And, and who might not want to have a conversation with you, you know? Um, yeah, that's
1: a huge piece of it.
2: But that vulnerability is the only place that you, that, that it's the only way that you can, that you can change into a person for whom wholeness is possible. I really, I really believe that. And that, I mean, that kind of vulnerability is the same kind of thing that you have to have when you, when you walk into a a therapist's office, if you're not vulnerable with your therapist, you're never going to, you're never going to work through any of your issues. And if you're not vulnerable, when you go volunteer, and I'm not talking, I mean, don't put yourself in a situation where you're unsafe, right? Like you have to like, listen to your gut, but, but if you're not feeling at at least a little bit vulnerable, And it's, I guess it's easy to say as a, you know, as a straight white man, like, go be vulnerable, right? Like, I don't (laughs) feel vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Most of my life I've never felt felt vulnerable. But, um, but if you don't go and feel a little bit vulnerable, um, or even just awkward, and I, the reason I like awkward better is because it's something that everybody feels sometimes.
1: Yeah, Um, it doesn't, it's not related to safety. It's just. Exactly.
2: It's just awkwardness, you know? And if, and if you don't feel that awkwardness, um you're just not going to be in a place where the experience matters at all. Um, everybody knows how to move a box. Everybody who's able bodied, you know, and even those who aren't know how to move a box. That's not going to change you. (laughs) It just isn't. (laughs) But, you know, talking to someone awkward, talking to someone awkwardly for five minutes might make your entire year different. It really might. It really, really, really might. Um, And so when the, when the, when the, um, volunteer coordinator at the nonprofit you want to volunteer at says, we don't have room for you, you know, your answer might be like, okay, we'll come another time. Or it might be like, you know what, I don't mind standing around and like sitting at a table and talking to talking to some people for a couple hours. And the volunteer coordinator will probably say, that sounds great. Please come. Like we want people yeah. like you, we don't want the people. What, <laughs> the, the people we want are people like you. People who just want busy work are not as uh, desirable to any non to any ministry, in my opinion. Um, you know, if you just want busy work, then get a second job. You know, and go be productive for for the GDP because that's not what nonprofits should be about. Anyway, that's my. Rant. Oh, and then the other rant is that is that Jesus is homeless thing
0: abracadabra one two three
2: that's insulting it's an insulting to me and it's insulting to, to homeless people and the reason it's insulting is because Jesus wasn't homeless right he, he was not homeless in the way that the people who I work with every day are homeless. Jesus left home
1: I was about to say number one it starts with a choice
2: it starts with a choice which is a which is a totally different thing than you know, the large majority of homeless folks. He's, he was not drug addicted. Uh, I don't really get the impression that he's mentally ill, except in Mark where he probably, he really does seem mentally ill, but like, (laughs) but to use that as your argument for why Christians or why society or Christian society should, should care about poor people is not, is not good enough. No. I mean, read the gospel. When Jesus goes to a town, he stays inside. He doesn't have to go sleep by the river. Yeah, he gets
1: invited to people's weddings.
2: He doesn't get. Yes, he doesn't get told to move along. He's at people's weddings. He's staying in people's houses. He's experiencing hospitality. People welcome them into his into their homes. People feed him. He has places to take his disciples and break bread. Disciples and break bread even on the busiest day of the year in Jerusalem, he has somewhere to take his disciples and break bread. And people who are really experiencing homelessness don't. And, uh, and it, it pisses every time I see that it pisses me off. And it always comes from well-meaning um, progressive people who are trying to make a point that we should love people who uh, seem unlovable because because christ was like that yeah. which is also incredibly insulting yes that's not a reason to love someone because jesus well jesus did it well no like you love them because they're a human being you love yeah. them because they are the image of christ as everyone is that's why you love right. them not because well jesus was homeless like well no he wasn't and fuck you <laughs> Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, it just pisses me off. It really does. It really, really does. And, you know, it's always it's always socialists and people like that who make that argument. And I'm like, have you read the Bible? Like, go read it. Go read. Go read four chapters and tell me that Jesus is homeless. And don't come to me. Don't come to me with the son of man has no place to lay his head. That's a metaphor. That's a metaphor for the message that that Christ is delivering to his age and to each age, which rarely lands with people. If it landed, we wouldn't have people out there saying that Jesus was homeless. It wouldn't right. be a necessary argument. So, yeah, the Son of Man doesn't have a place to, to lay his head. But it doesn't mean that Jesus was homeless, and it's not the reason to love, to love homeless people.
1: Yeah. You love homeless people because they're people.
2: <laughs> yes. You love homeless people because they are the same as you because there's a beggar inside of you that you need to encounter and exactly. you're not, and you're not going to encounter the beggar inside of you unless you encounter those people who, for whom God has a, has a prefer, preferential option. That's and exactly for, right. And for, and with whom Christ was in solidarity, right? Yeah. Part of, part of his solidarity was leaving his family and his hometown and going out on the road like that is an act of solidarity and that's a great argument Mm -hmm. like hey maybe if you're following jesus you should act in solidarity with these people too and maybe you should work for the kingdom by by working to take these marginalized people and bring them into the center of of your moral imagination and to work to make society's moral imagination wider—that's a great argument. Exactly, I, I think it's a great argument. Then um, I'll go there with you all day long. But as, as soon as you say, you know, well, Jesus was homeless, I'm gonna be like, eh, you know, maybe you should think about this more, a little bit more than you have.
1: Well, you know what that smacks of? It smacks of the same. It's the same rhetorical. And theologically just bankrupt language that also comes from a good place, which is when people want to say, well, you know, Jesus was an Arab Jew, a brown guy. Like they started – when they start listing off all the the physical traits and they're like, so you should like those people too.
2: Who was convinced by that argument?
1: No one. Number one, no one. And number two – you should have some kind of compulsion, if you're a Christian at least, or just a good, decent human being. But if we're talking about Christians here, your compulsion to love brown skin or Jewish people or whatever category you want to put on it shouldn't just be because your savior looks that way.
2: <laughs> it shouldn't, re- shouldn't require that God, that, that God looked that way. Yeah, you know? it should just be because they're they're people, and I, and I think I I think that all those like, I think that our imagination about who who Jesus was is limitless. I think that's I actually think it's great. I actually think it's great to imagine Jesus in. in every skin tone you know no i agree in every in every sexual orientation as trans as queer you know as a woman like all of these things all these things are 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 beautiful ways of uh, of understanding who christ christ is because christ takes on a universal component of of humanity and that jesus the person did not embody (laughs) like let's just say that like (laughs) exactly like historically the Jesus of the person did not i mean Jesus the person was probably i mean was jewish obviously and 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 was brown er than me, you know, and like like but but like that's not a reason to love people. the reason to love people is because because God loved us first, the reason to love people is because we're all created we're all created in this in this world to be here and love each other. You know, uh, and, and and if the only reason that you love somebody is because, well, Jesus was that way. It's like, mm, it's like, well, the reason I love women is because I have a mom. Like, well, no, <laughs> that's not why I yeah, love yeah, women. Yeah,
1: that's that's you right. Know? Like, or the reason that I respect them is because I have a daughter. Like,
2: right? No, yes. No, no you no, don't. No. Res- you don't respect them, and you don't respect your daughter. By the way,
1: I guess it's a fine place to start if that's where you have to start to not hate people. But.
2: Yeah. Right. I mean, I, again, it's, it's like the volunteering. It's like the volunteering, um, conversation that everybody starts somewhere and some people start further down the road than others. But for those people who aren't even on the road, these are not compelling arguments. They are not compelling arguments. They aren't, you know, they just, they just aren't. Um, and no, and, it's beca- and it's because moral. the and it's because the arguments aren't serious.
1: The moral and theological arguments have to have a serious weight to them. It's, you that's why you have to be able to strip away this this surface uh, argument of, well, Jesus looked this way, so I should like people that look this way, or Jesus, you know, was homeless, so I should like the homeless. It's well, no, what did he say? Right. What did he say? We're talking about if you accept or run with or whatever language you want to use if you abide by that god was incarnate and talked to you and said do a thing then the package of that message matters less it doesn't not matter that's right but there is real weight behind what were the words that god spoke and they were love me, love yourself, love your neighbor. So that's right. why you do what you do. And maybe it's like I said, maybe everybody starts somewhere. And and that's a helpful thing to say, well, we should imagine Christ in all these physical forms. And I agree with you. I think there's a lot of beauty to that. But the reason that that's a helpful exercise is because the message is behind that saying, yeah, Anybody you can imagine. That's who you're supposed to love.
0: Abracadabra, one, two, three.
1: I want to say something. I feel like I'm a little off base with the last piece of that conversation.
2: What do you mean off base?
1: Because I don't want to discount any theology of the body. I don't want to discount the importance of incarnation. So there is no part of me that wants to say it didn't matter who Jesus was as a physical being.
2: Well, yeah, that's right. I think that's true.
1: So that's not, um, that's not where we can go with this. So I don't know. I, I, so I, and I feel like I've ventured into that territory and I don't like it.
2: Um, right. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's incredibly complicated. Like to say that God like took on a body and that body was male. Yeah. Is like super. (laughs) problematic, you know, it It's sucks. super problematic. Like, and it's, it's, um, <sighs> you know, and Which it, and why. it does, and to an extent it does matter that he was, it, it definitely matters that he was Jewish. Like all the white supremacists in the world, what they, it really, for them to do what they do, it requires that, that Jesus be totally denuded of his Judaism. So Correct. like, can we do, can we denude him of his brownness of his, you know, the fact that he spoke Aramaic, the fact that he was in an occupied territory of an empire, the fact that he was a man, like, can we just, can we cast that aside so easily? Like, you know, I I don't know. It's, it is super complicated. It's really complicated.
1: Yeah. The answer is no, we cannot cast that aside, but I think what we have to do is use that as a starting point rather than an ending point that it has to be your entryway into saying These things matter, but they are also not, I don't know, they're not the basis for the mission that Christ gives you.
2: Amen.